Well, good morning, Grace, and I'm excited about what God has in store for us. I want you to turn your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, and I'm just going to, let's just dive in, no pun intended. (laughs) Hey, that's just special for this service. I'm just telling you, I'm not doing it anywhere else. Hey, what is the first thing that you think of when you hear the name Jonah? The whale. The whale. We, you know, you always think of Jonah the whale. Like if you grew up in the church or whatever, for some reason, like there's this like this Christian subculture. Like even if you, like you might even be aware of this, even if you didn't grow up in the church, but they had this thing called Veggie Tales. Right? And like, I've been forever ruined on VeggieTales Jonah, man. That's serious stuff right there. Well, we're going to be jumping in and looking at the story of Jonah. But what we're going to find out is though we're going to be looking at the whale, we're going to have some fun with that. There's some great things we can learn. There is so much more that we can learn from this account of what I'm calling the runaway prophet. And, and I want to challenge you to do something for me. I, I'd like to, to challenge you over the next few weeks to read through the book of Jonah. There, like if you're like some of you are like, I'm still looking for it. Where is it? It's, uh, let's see, I believe it's Obadiah is right before it and Micah's right. And you're like, I don't know. Okay, like go to Ezekiel and keep thumbing through. I promise. Let your, let your fingers do the walking through. It's like the yellow page thing, man. You'll find it. But I want, you, I want to challenge you to read through Jonah for the next few weeks. It's a unique book of the Bible. In fact, I don't think there's another book like it in all of Scripture. In fact, the closest, the closest scriptural analogy that I can draw would be to compare it to the story of the prodigal son. It's really interesting, as you you read through Jonah, you're gonna see this. Like, for instance, the first couple of chapters of Jonah, you're gonna see Jonah, the prodigal, the one who runs. The the last two chapters of Jonah, you're gonna see Jonah as the eldest son who is just really judgmental and, and almost hard. As you're reading through this, there are going to be times that you will ask, why would God even include this book in here? Because Jonah comes off like a big jerk. But what we're going to find out is that as we go through this series, we are much more like Jonah than we would like to care to admit. And, and, and we're, going to, we're going to be doing some digging into this. It's interesting because it's one of the few books of the Bible that ends with a question mark. You know, and, and again, you know, it's interesting, the prodigal, the prodigal son, at the very end, the father is asking the oldest son a question, and you never find out how the oldest son asks, answers the question. The same thing is true of Jonah. It, it's, it's like if this was a movie, you would be ticked at the end of the movie. It's like, I want my money back. The, 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 this is terrible, because we do not know how the rest of the story ends. But I think that God did this on purpose. Because all of us find ourselves in situations and we are going through things right now and we need to hear this. We need to hear this. Because I believe that over the next few weeks, God is going to ask us a question. And right now, we don't know how the rest of the story is going to end. The story has yet to be written. But what we're going to learn from this account, I believe, will prepare us for what God has in store for us in the days to come. It's interesting because really, if you, to summarize this book, it, it, 
the, the two terms that we talk about a lot, sing about a lot, sin and grace, they're here. It's, it's almost a tangible, a tangible picture of this. Now, sin, as it's represented here, is, is literally, we see a guy who's running from God. And, and, and sin, if I could just summarize, sin is really that, running from God. Whereas we see God's grace in the fact that, that God is chasing the runaway. It's like running, sin, chasing, grace. Running, sin, God's chasing, grace. And I, I want you to think about that as, as we pick up our reading here in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And I, I'm just going to pause here, because I, I'm like one of those guys, there's so much that I want to share that I, I'd literally like to just do it all, like here at the very beginning. But we're, we're going to get through this. I'm not going to spend three hours here today, I promise you. But, but there, there's some great stuff we're going to be hitting. And so I'm going to be talking more about Nineveh and about this great evil. But let me just, just so we have at least a general understanding when, when we're talking about this, this great evil, Nineveh, prob, it would be very similar to, a, uh, to a, like a terrorist state. They are terrible people. The atrocities that we read, not just in scripture, literally archaeologists have picked up, uh, you know, have, have been able to dig and we have record of, of some of the things the Assyrians did. They were not good people. And so what we're going to see when, when it says that their evils come up before the Lord, uh, like all of us, there's not going to be a single person who's like, oh man, what's the big deal? There's nothing wrong with that. No, as we dig into that, you're going to be like, oh my word, why is God even sending Jonah there? In fact, what we're going to find out is that Jonah himself is thinking that. Because when, when he gets this call from the Lord, look at verse three, it says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He's like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to where you're calling me to go. He rose up to flee and he went down to, to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. And, and here's the thing. We, we can run from God, but, but you can't escape God. Psalm 139 says that wherever you go, whether to the heights or the depth, you're going to find that he's there. And so, so Jonah's running, but we see in verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, small g God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Maybe the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And so they said to one another, so apparently he's now up with them wherever everybody else is. They said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon this. And this was an ancient practice in which they, they would seek direction and, and how, you know, and there's a lot of different takes on how they might've done this. But long, long story short, Jonah already knew what was getting ready to go down because sure enough, when they cast lots, the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? And they ask him a whole series of questions. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? 
What is your country and of what people are you? And Jonah said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, just not enough to obey him. No, it's not in there. I just, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? Because apparently he had told them for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And there are three things that, that I want us to notice because as, as we're talking this morning, I, we're just laying the foundation. So, so listen, like if, if you are here this morning, you picked the right Sunday to show up. Like if you were here last week and like, you know what, I got enough Jesus on Easter to last me three weeks and then I'll come back. They're out of luck. I'm just telling you, you're getting the context. Like I, we're laying the foundation here this morning, okay? So, so you pick the right day. We're gonna, we're gonna lay the foundation. There are three things that I want us to understand because we're gonna, there are gonna be some principles that we draw out of this, but I wanna make sure that we understand what this text originally meant, why, why it's there, not just, uh, not just ask, how does that speak to us today? Let's not miss why it was there. Let's understand the context. And so there are three things, very simple, that, that are gonna be foundational as we look at God's interaction with Jonah and Jonah's interaction with God. And the, the first thing that I want to notice is this, God clearly called Jonah. God's call of Jonah was very clear. And so this is important because as we're talking about, about rebelling against the call of God, there are times that, that we wrestle with the call of God, that, that there are times that we're not sure if what's come to my mind, if that's just my idea, if it's an impression, or if this is really God speaking. Okay, anybody ever wondered, you know, is this God or is this me? Anybody ever have that, ever struggle with that? Okay, well, probably at some point we've all wrestled. Okay, God, what is it that you're asking me to do? This is not the situation here, okay? Because I would say, like, if you don't have clarity, there are times that, that you know, if maybe something comes to our mind, we're like, you know, maybe this could be God. There are some simple things we can do. You know, for instance, you can... The, the, will, the will of God is the word of God. So start with the word. And if, if it interferes with the word, you can just cut it out. That wasn't God. Um, may, uh, James, we got this great promise in James 1, 5, and 6. If any of you ask wisdom, let him ask God. Uh, that's, that's, start there. Um, you know, there, there are, there are you know, we have godly cancer. All of that are, are ways that we can discern. But, but, but don't miss this. This wasn't Jonah saying, I wonder if God is speaking to me. Why don't I go down to Joppa and have a little prayer retreat so I can further seek God's will? Not, that is not the case. God was very clear. This is where I want you to go. This is what I want you to say. This is what I want you to do. And Jonah isn't really happy about this. So God's call to Jonah was clear. But the second thing that I want us to notice this morning is this. Jonah's rebellion was calculated. Jonah's rebellion was calculated. I want to spend some time talking about this to make sure that we understand this. And, and here's why this is important, okay? So let me just put all my cards on the table. I, I want to talk to, to runaway believers here today. And you're like, well, how's that even the case? Well, here's the deal. Jonah is running and he's a prophet, from, he's a prophet of God. 
Okay, so we know that, that it's, it's possible even for a, for a, a person who has taken the name of God to, to run, but we're going we're gonna to talk about this. And so I would say, like, if you are not a believer and you are here, love, love, love the fact that you are here. I hope you keep coming back. And what I, can I just say this? I'm going to take a quick aside. Just as we're talking about how God, uh, God uh, pursues and we're talking about grace and all that sort of thing. God in his grace even pursues those that have even started uh, a relationship. And so I've just, if you are here and you're not a believer, I just want you to know, I've been praying that God gets your attention. And, and maybe he'll do that this morning. If not, man, I'd, I'd encourage you. Any, any of you guys go to the, the Greg Laurie harvesting last night? Man, it was just an awesome night. And, and literally hundreds of people, man, stepped forward at the invitation. I'm excited about the fruit of that. And, and we have the chance as a church to help mentor and disciple some of those people that, that responded. But I, 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 I mean, if you're not a believer, just know that while this message is not so much for unbelievers, you're still gonna get something from this. I specifically wanna talk about people, though, that are running from God. You... God's calling is clear. God has called you to something and you're running. And so, so I, I want to make sure I want to get some, I want to make sure that we have some clarity on what is rebellion and what's not rebellion. All right. So the first thing I want to say is this, there is a difference between ignorance and rebellion of not knowing what God is asking of you and, and deliberately rejecting what he's asking of you, okay? Can we all agree on that? Difference between, in fact, let me, let me illustrate this. I've got, uh, you're gonna see my artwork. At, it's gonna be amazing. You guys are gonna be just blown away. I'm not doing this next week either. So you guys, you guys, I'm doing everything for you guys today. Okay, so let's just, let's just say this, this line, uh, right, right, this point right here where these two lines intersect, this is where, man, it hits you that, that you can't save yourself, you can't make yourself a better person, and for the first time you put your trust in Christ's work on the cross for salvation, you, you turn from your sins, you put your faith in Christ, and, and what we call you're born again, you're saved. Let's just say this is the point at which this happens, okay? So up here, you're gonna love, man, I'm... I'm Pictionary, everybody's going to want to play Pictionary after I'm done here. Or Hangman. Anyway. So this little dotted line up here at the top. Let's just say this represents God's holy standard. And what I, what I mean by that, uh, uh, in Leviticus, uh, Peter comes back and, and repeats this. We, we find, we find uh, God speaking, said, be holy as I'm holy. And so there, there, is a, there is a holy standard that we have. Now, here's the crazy thing that I want to make sure that we understand. At salvation, we are immediately given a title that we don't deserve. We are called saints. Okay? So, so I, I just want to say something. There is nowhere in Scripture that once a person has put their faith in Jesus Christ, that, that, they, that uh, they are given the name sinner. We call ourselves Sinners. We say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I get why we use that terminology, okay? I, I get why we use that terminology. But, but there is never a place in scripture that, that biblically, a, a person who has put their faith in Christ continues to be called a sinner. They're called saints, they're called believers. Even, even in Antioch, we read in Acts, when they, they got the name Christian, they got the name Christian because they were followers of Christ. 
They didn't get the name because they just said, hey, we're sinners saved by grace. No. Okay, so, so this is crazy. We are given a title. So, and, and it's very important we understand the reason, the only way that we can be called saints is not because we have everything figured out because we're living perfectly. It's literally because Christ's work for us was perfect. His work was so good, he fully satisfied the, 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 the demands that, that God has. We, we can be, we're declared righteous before we're righteous. This, this, this is this big, huge 16-cylinder uh, uh, word that you find, especially in the Apostle Paul's epistles and Romans, whatever. It's, it's this word called justification. And, and, and it simply means that we are called not guilty, even though God and everybody, we know we're guilty. But it's because of Christ's sacrifice that we can be called saints. So here's the, here's the crazy thing. We start here, we don't know what the holy standard is. We're called something we don't even fully understand. Like how many of you, when you started following Jesus, had, had everything figured out? Anybody? Anybody? Any, nope, didn't think so. Me either. Like if you raise your hand, you need to get saved. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but here's, here's what happens. From this point, if we're following Jesus... We're going to grow, and, and his, I will make sure that we understand this. This is very important. Let me write this down. My handwriting is unbelievable. Um, knowledge. We're going to grow in knowledge. How, how can we follow Christ if we don't know who he is, what he's about, how, how do we go? We get into the word. One of the first things, I, I'm going to tell you, if you begin to follow Jesus and, and, and you're going to be discipled, you're, you're going to be in the word. We're going to study. We, we want to know who God is, what he's saying, what he's, what he's calling us. We want to know, man, his great promises, all of those things. The, we're we're going to get in the word. And so as we're in the word, we're going to grow in knowledge. It's going to come from the word. There are going to be people that God puts in our lives that are part of this journey. We're going to grow in knowledge. Now, the reality is we're going to think we have something figured out here, and then we're going to get here, and we're like, oh, man, I didn't have it all figured out. That's, that's part of it. And so to grow, you have to be humble. Our growth has nothing to do with your rightness. It has everything to do with you agreeing with God's rightness. Make sense? And so we're growing in knowledge. And so this actually should be a line. That there should not ever be a time that knowledge, we go here and then we go down because it is what it is. You, you, have, you have the knowledge. But, but, but we're growing in knowledge of this holy standard. Here's what I want us to understand. We're not living up to this holy standard, but what I love is that grace covers the gap between God's holy standard and our knowledge of, of his holy standard. And that's why I say there's a difference between ignorance and rebellion. And so if, you're, if you struggle with judgmentalism, what I mean by that, if you look at other believers that aren't at the same place that you are on the journey and they don't have the same light that you have and you're like, tell you what, I don't know about them. I think they might be just walking in darkness. And Well, no, they, literally, they don't have the light that you have. Okay, and, and let me just say this. The light, I, Psalm 119 says that your word is a lamp into my feet, it's a light into my path. A lot of us think that God has called us to be his flashlights. He hasn't necessarily done that. Now, there are gonna be times where you have the privilege and God has, has allowed you to be part of someone's growth. You have the relationship. But man, just to go around, just, I, I, just 
yelling yelling at people, tell them how terrible they are or or whatever. Let God do his work. It's grace that covers the gap in their life just like grace covers the gap in your life. You think you got all figured out? You don't. Anyway, (laughs) grace covers the gap. Okay, so there's a difference between ignorance and rebellion. I uh, I love this. In the Old Testament, there is never a place in which in which uh, this ignorance is is deemed to be rebellion. In fact, Leviticus chapter four, there were literally sacrifices for the priests, for the people of Israel. If If you got light on something, you found out that this was wrong and you turned from that, there was always sacrifice that could be made for that. And by the way, can I just tell you, when you grow in knowledge and you find out, oh man, I have, this is what God's asking me, I haven't been doing this or, or I need to let go of this, Quit, do not let Satan jump, in, jump on your shoulder and say, you terrible, terrible person. You have just been living in egregious sin. You t-. No, Dude, just thank God that he showed you and confess your sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what? Confession is not you telling God something he doesn't know. Trust me, it's like, hey, uh, God, last Friday, I don't know if you knew about this, but I was down, down there and uh, got mad and punched, uh, punched my, uh, my buddy, and uh, I'm really sorry for that. It's not like God's like, oh, man. Like, little, probably Heaven has a YouTube channel. They got you on replay like, oh, man, this is hilarious. Watch this again. Okay, so... You're not giving God information he doesn't know. No, confession is literally you agreeing with what God's shown you. When he shows you something, you're like, I agree with that. I align my life, I adjust. I'm always adjusting my life to what God calls of me instead of living by my standard, I'm living by his standard. Make sense? Okay, so, so man, what I, what I love about this, as grace covers the gap. If we walk in the light, the light that we have, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, John says that we have fellowship with one another. Blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, let's talk about another part of this, though. As we grow in knowledge, we rarely are perfectly living up to the, the standard of the knowledge that we have. Would you agree with that? We wrestle with this. So we might do this. We might even make a circle here and go down. But, but... There usually is a gap between what we know, what God's revealed to us, and in our practice. And I want to I want to talk about this because there is a grace that covers this gap as well. But but I want you to look this. While there's a difference between ignorance and rebellion, there's a difference also between initial reluctance and rebellion. And I, I use that word initial reluctance. I'll, I'll go back uh, the the story the account of uh, Moses. If you go back to Exodus 2, Moses is called the guy. Okay, like he has a burning bush. And you're like, God, would you reveal yourself to me? All of us would be, it wouldn't be amazing. There's just a burning bush. And God says, here's what I want you to do. You're like, all right, I'll do it. Well, here's a crazy thing. Moses had a burning bush and he still wrestled with it. So, so there's burning bush, and, and, and so long story short, God says, I mean, I want you to, to go to the people of Israel, I want you to declare these things, and I want you to lead them out of Egypt. And, and so the very first thing that Moses does, there's initial reluctance. He asked a series of questions. The first question was, who am I to do this? And he reminds God of everything that he's done wrong. And God's like, no, I, I called you to do it. Well, then his next question, he's trying to figure this out, was, was well, what, what if I don't know what to say? God answers that, says, hey, I'll, I'll put words in your mouth, just, you just go. And then he asks the third question, what if they don't listen to me? 
God answers that question. You're going to do signs. In fact, he said, hey, that staff you have, throw it on the ground, throw it in the ground, turn it into a snake. Right there, that, that was bad enough. But when he said, pick it up, I'm like, yeah, that's where my faith is. But <laughs> what does he do? He picks it up, turns back into a staff. God answers that question. Fourth, uh, he, he, gets to the, he gets to the fourth question. And long story short, he gets all the way to, to, the, to, the, to the very end after asking, you know, what if they don't follow me? All, all of that, that sort of thing. And, and it's, God had grace on those first four questions. It was his fifth question where, he, where he, he jumped into resistance. A difference between reluctance and resistance, just like, just like there's a difference between this. Listen, guys, the reason I say there's a difference between rebellion and initial reluctance is this. Reluctance can turn into resistance, and resistance can turn into rebellion. Because the last, the last thing that, that Moses said to God was, he, he was like, after God answered all the questions, he just said, please, would you send somebody else? And that's where it said that God's anger was kindled against him. He's like, hey, I'm sending you Aaron, but you're the man. Okay, so big, big difference. Grace, God, there are times we have to wrestle with this. Okay, very, very important that we understand the difference between all of these things. I wanna go back to something real quick. I didn't say this. This whole thing of ignorance, so, the, only, the only time that ignorance becomes rebellion is if you intentionally remain ignorant. If you're like, I don't wanna be responsible for this and so I'm not gonna read the word. I'm not going to seek God's face because I don't want to be held accountable to what I think God is asking of me. That is not truly ignorance. That, that's where you've actually crossed line and you just don't want to hear from God. And that's, that's where we have a problem. Okay, so really important. I want to make sure that we understand there's a difference between ignorance and initial reluctance and rebellion. Rebellion is, is nothing more than this. It is, rebellion is a self-centered, self-righteous approach in which Jonah, who hated the Assyrians, he was a big supporter. In fact, if you, if you go back to, I think it's 2 Kings 14.25, where he's mentioned there, he, he actually supported Jeroboam too. He supported some of the things that he was doing to, to build up Israel as a powerful nation. Whereas on the other hand, uh, Amos and uh, who's the other? It might've been Obadiah. Actually were speaking out against Jeroboam. J Jonah actually kind of liked, he, he was intensely loyal to Israel. And so when, when he heard this, his thing was, I'm not going to go there. I don't want to go there. I hate these people. In, in his mind, it, it would be the same for us. What God was asking of him made absolutely no sense. It would be like in uh, World War II, asking a Jewish rabbi to go, as, to, to go do a Billy Graham crusade type thing in Nazi Germany. Honestly, that, I, I know that sounds very stark. That's exactly why Jonah's like, yeah, I'm not going to do this. But when, when we say to God, I'm not going to do this, what we're doing is we are proving that first of all, we're self-righteous. We're saying, my way is right. My way is preferable. My way is better than your way. We're also saying it's self-centered. I'm gonna do what I wanna do regardless. This, this is at the very heart of rebellion. And what I see here is that Jonah, he had a, he had a this was calculated rebellion. Now, he might have tried to justify why he was doing this. Like, there are times we try to justify why we're running. I just was talking to a friend of mine recently, and they were telling me about God, was, uh, God had been dealing with them in a certain area, asking them to, to, to go a certain direction. And, uh, and they said, man, I've just been wrestling. And they said, I've actually been spending a lot of time in, in Scripture passages that have nothing to do with that. 
And like I'm spending, I'm spending a lot of time, uh, you know, I'm spending a lot of time doing other good stuff for God just to try to get, listen, listen. When it says that Joseph arose and he went down to Tarshish looking for a ship, listen to me, if you want to run from God, you're always going to be able to find a ship. You will always be able to find a ship. It might be, it might be a ship that takes you a, a wrong direction. It might be a ship that you think is taking you a good direction, but it's just not going where God wants you to take. Here's what I know. We'll be able to rationalize and justify what we're doing, right? But, but listen to me. There is, no, there is nobody who is more hopelessly lost than somebody who won't admit that they're hopelessly lost. Some of you married the person like that. You know what I'm talking about. Jonah just says, I'm gonna find a boat and I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere else. Now, I wanna, I wanna show you a picture. Here's where God was calling him to go, okay? So down there, by the bottom red arrow, that, that is, that's Jerusalem, top right arrow. He's, he's called to go northeast. You'll see that's Mosul, that's uh, 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 the Iraqi uh, city. That's actually where the, the ancient city of Nineveh would be found in that general area. This is where God's called him to go. Where did he go instead? Show the next picture. You know, like when we read it and we don't see it, we don't get how dramatic this is. He's, he's asked him to go northeast. He, go, go to the next picture, because this shows both places. Like the far right's where he's supposed to be. The middle part's the starting place. The far left is that, where uh, uh, Tarshish, that was in Spain. They actually think, archaeologists, they found some discoveries in this little town called Seville. They think that's actually the ancient city of Tarshish. But literally, it was about as far as you could get from, from Nineveh in the known world at that time. He's like, I am getting out of here. When I say that his rebellion was calculated, Jonah knew exactly what he was doing. And, and listen to me, just like some of us here this morning, we know, we, do, we, might, we might be trying to rationalize and justify why we're doing what we're doing. We know that we've been running from God. God's asked you to let go of something. And you're like, I don't want to let go of this. He's asked you to forgive. You're like, mm, I, don't think I'm, I don't think I'm there yet. He's asked you to take this next step, to trust him here. It might not be in some major area. Can I tell you that most of the times when God calls us, he doesn't call us to the big things until he, he, he finds, until he calls us in the small things. Some of us might be resisting and rebelling against the small things. And here's the thing, guys, there are always consequences that go with this. Because I, I, I will tell you, you, you run and you allow the whole impure thoughts thing to, to be your your. You're, you're rationalizing why you can look at this or why you can do this. At some point, there's gonna be a bed. This whole bitterness that's within you, I mean, sometimes you're gonna, at some point, you're gonna find a stone to throw or a knife to stab in somebody's back and it might not be real, but you're gonna find a way to try to take them down. You, 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 buy, you probably have been wronged, but you buy into that victim mindset. You're gonna, you're gonna rationalize why you can do things. The more that, that we resist what God is calling, calling us to, the more we won't let go of what he's asking us to release. At some point, this resistance turns into rebellion. And the re there are always results to rebellion. There's the breaking of a covenant. There's this, there's this covenant relationship we've made with God. God doesn't ever break his part, but there are times we've made a commitment We'll break ours. 
There's a, there's a loss of intimacy. What I love about Romans 8, what I love about Romans 8 is that, man, his love, we can never be separated from his love. But can I tell you that we can be separated in terms of when it comes to intimacy? When there's something going on in a, in a marriage or in a friendship or whatever, you're fighting, you, don't, you definitely don't want to pray together. Like, I'm going to tell you, the hardest time when it comes to praying for my wife is after we've had one of these things going on. I don't want to pray. We don't want to be around somebody that we're cheating on. We don't want to be around someone that we're running from. And it's weird because even though, man, we've put our our faith in Christ for salvation, when when it comes to picking up my cross and and following him, there are times that I wrestle, and when I begin to run in a weird sort of, it almost turns into this enmity with God. But here's here's what I want us to understand. And again, we're laying a foundation for where we're going to build from here. God's call was clear. Jonah's rebellion was calculated. But here's here's what I want you to understand. As he ran, God's pursuit, though, was continual. God never stopped chasing. Remember what I said in the beginning. Sin is us running. Grace is God's pursuit. Now, I don't want us to misunderstand this grace because it's not the grace, the, the, this, this weak, permissive, oh, I'm sorry your feelings are hurt type thing that sometimes we make grace out to be. You know, there are times I'm in Walmart and I see those poor parents with the kids just, Rah! and I'm like, dude, let you gonna do something about that? And they're like, hey, 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 listen, no, you're gonna be fine. If, if you just be quiet, we'll, we'll get through checkout. Or, the, you know, they do the whole thing. The kids just run them pell-mell through the aisles. and like, you get back here. I'm gonna count to three. One, two, two and a half. I'm like, dude, I'll spank that kid. You and me, I'll help you out. Let's, let's do this. Now, I'm not talking about that, that, kind of, of, that kind of weak, cheap grace. I don't know how to say this, but many times when we're running from God's sin often has storm clouds attached to it. And there are many times that in God's grace, he will allow us to hurt and allow us to suffer. And he's not doing this to break us. He's literally doing this to turn us. And what we see is that though Jonah ran, verse four, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. He sent a storm. Now, there are many times if we're running from God when the storm comes, immediately what we want to do is we're just mad. Are you kidding me right now? But, but, but the reality is, anytime I'm running from someone, I, I feel that sense of inner angst. It makes perfect sense if you think about it. We, we get mad at God. Why is this happening? This is just, and we almost sometimes use it as a, as a chance to just keep on running. He doesn't care. God doesn't. No. Literally, many times, many times, storms are nothing more than, as Tim uh, Keller puts it, as, as God's gentle and tender violence seeking to turn us from what's going to kill us. Because he, he, he loves you and I that much. He reminds me of a fairy tale, and maybe, maybe you, you read this, if you read you know, those grim fairy tales when you were a kid. Um, 
there was a, a wicked witch lived in the middle of a, a forest, and she had this large bed. And the, the, way this th- the, the way this thing would go is that when travelers were coming through and they were tired from going through this dark and, and, and desolate uh, forest, they would come to this house and like, oh, maybe I can get a meal here, maybe I can spend the night. And the wicked witch would cook them a very nice supper, probably very heavy on carbs, I don't know. But, uh, but they, she, so she, she would, she would uh, fix them a supper and then they would go to sleep in a bed. But this was a comfortable, very, very comfortable bed, like, like like Tempur-Pedic or whatever you think, like it's the, the best. But it wasn't just a comfortable bed. This was a, a cursed bed. Because what would happen is that if they would fall asleep and they were still asleep when dawn came, they were immediately turned to stone. And when they were turned to stone, they, they could not move, they were immobilized. They they still had awareness. The witch would take them out and and set them there as almost a trophy of what she'd been able to do. I'm gonna tell you, you will never look at gnomes in the front yard the same way. Like they stayed in somebody's bed, right? But one particular night, young handsome prince comes to this place and he's tired and the witch has a servant girl and she sees this young prince and she knows what's going to happen. Because sure enough, the witch is so kind and oh, I'll prepare you a meal. As she is preparing the meal, the servant girl knows that she wants to save this prince. She likes him, she loves him. There's something there, it's love at first sight. And so while the meal's being prepared, she goes into the bed and she gets all kinds of rocks and, and thorns and that sort of thing and throws it in the bed and then covers the bed up. And so the witch is telling him how comfortable the bed is and he goes and as he lays down, it's like, the worst thing ever. He cannot get comfortable. Every time, everywhere he turns, there's a, a rock there, a, a thorn there. And in fact, he never can fall asleep. And he just tosses and turns all night, trying, trying to fall asleep. And, he, and, and the morning comes and he just gets out of bed. I don't know if you're like me. Like if I, I wake up and I haven't had any sleep, I'm just a bear. I don't mean to be. I just like, I gotta get coffee. Like some of you need it. Seriously, we just, you know, we've all been there. He wakes up and he's just mad. And the servant girl who has done this to save him, she is walking by, he walks out and he yells at the servant girl. This is the worst room ever. You guys say that this is a comfortable bed. This is the worst bed ever. I would be disgusted. I mean, he's just being a jerk. He slams the door and he leaves. And the servant girl runs after him And she catches him and she says, don't you know what I did? She said, those thorns and those rocks weren't there to merely make you uncomfortable. I threw them there to save your life. The rest of the story, they of course live happily ever ever after. I mean, that's how you do fairy tales. The reality is for us, I wonder how many of us have been running And even this morning, you find yourself facing a storm. And what what we have to do is in this storm, not all storms are because of sin. We know that. Bad things happen to good people. But I'm talking specifically when you know you have been running. Again, there's 
sin always has, at some point there's gonna be a storm associated with sin. Instead of being angry at God, instead of using that as an excuse to run further from God as we close, can I trust you, or can I ask you to do something? Can I ask you instead to turn and come back to God? Don't, don't take your refuge from him. Take your refuge in him. On Tuesday, our, our prayer group, we prayed through, we always pray in response to scripture, we prayed through Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Many of us have missed out on the blessed life because when storms come, we run from him instead of running to him. You see, sin is always us running from God. Grace is God chasing us. But at the end of the day, God allows, because he is such a gracious God, he does not force us to turn in terms of brute force. He sends storms to get our attention. And so as we close, I'm gonna pray. And then at the end of the service, I'm just gonna hang out here in the front. If you're, if maybe you got questions about what I shared, no, if you're, if you're new, come on down. I'd, I'd love to meet you. But man, if you've got questions about, about what I shared or maybe just God's been challenging you, I've already had the chance to pray with a few people. I wanna pray with you because I'm telling you, God's chasing even the runaways that are here. Father, I thank you. So we've laid this foundation for what you're gonna teach us over the next several weeks from the story of this runaway prophet that though the story seems removed from us contextually and some of the details, God, as we just look at this, there's more similarities there than we would care to admit. And so God, I'm just praying that if in this room there are those who have been running, that you would bring them back, that you would do what only you can do to transform, to change. To God, that instead of continuing their rebellion, to God, that they would repent, that they would turn, that they would come home. And Father, that they would experience the joy of knowing that everything is right, everything is clear. I'm walking in obedience. God, what I found is that many times the consequences of, of running from you, they, they're far greater than the consequences of returning. And so God, I'm praying that we would trust you with your call. You always are for our best. Not always what's gonna be most comfortable for our best and for, the, for how you wanna use us. So God, we thank you. So God, just continue to do your work in the next few weeks and for what you're gonna do. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. And all God's people said... Hey, she's playing a song. I want, I want us to sing just that, that first line. You know, we don't have lyrics, but amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. like, I'm telling you, returning beats running every single time. And so I can't wait to see what God's going to be, be doing in our congregation. So go in his grace. Don't forget 5 p.m. tonight, we're going to be doing next steps. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.